Welcome to OpCast, Arms Around the Trinity Continuum. Our podcast has in-depth reviews covering everything from first edition to the newest story path edition of the books published for the Trinity Continuum, including Aeon, Aberrant, Adventure, and more. I am your host, Josh He, and today we'd like to shout out another member of the D20 radio network, Court Games, Legend of the Five Rings Gaming. Court Games RPG has interviews with game designers and authors for the Legend of the Five Rings role-playing game, discussions and breakdowns of the stories that accompany the living card game that Fantasy Flight also releases, reviews of the game, game mastering tips for running Legends of the Five Rings, and lots of information about historical Japan for folks that are interested in that. You can find them at courtgamespod.com if you're interested in Legend of the Five Rings. So today, where it's just me and our guest, and we're doing something a little bit different. We're having an interview with one of the developers for one of the books, Prometheus Unbound. So I am joined by Leith Shields. Leith, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Josh. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, excited to be talking about this book. We, uh, the hosts, got together and did a review of the book, which I don't know if that's going to come out before our interview. Oh, Who knows? Okay. It's the continuum, so things happen out of turn sometimes. (laughs) But we had talked about doing this for a little while, and I'm glad we finally got a chance to make it happen. So tell us about yourself, tell us about the book, and we'll go from there. No problem. So I'm excited to be here talking about Prometheus Unbound. As you said, my name is Leith Shields. I'm a developer for not just Prometheus Unbound, but various Trinity Continuum books. I I've also developed mission statements, which is is yet to be released, developed various aberrant books, so bits and pieces all across the place. So I'm happy to talk about pretty much anywhere the continuum takes us today, bearing in mind that the NBA ninjas will chase me down if I stray too far into into some of the some of the lines that haven't been released yet. I know those ninjas all too well, and they are very good at finding you when you're like, I'm safe, and then they show up and you're like, <laughs> Wow, I didn't expect them, but you never expect them. Kind of like the Spanish Inquisition. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your background with the Trinity Continuum. You've been involved with the the current iteration, but how did you get involved maybe as a fan back in the day? As a fan, I think I got involved uh, in a similar story to, to many other people. I was, a, I was a fan of White Wolf and enjoyed much of the, the World of Darkness. And then this, this new thing came out, and I've always been a, a sci-fi um, fan and suddenly there was this new thing Trinity and I'm like I don't know anything about that but hey I'm a compulsive <laughs> role play game collector and this has come out and I like White Wolf so I purchased it and I, I must admit I was not in that first wave who managed to grab one of the plastic covered Eon ones mine's a, a cardboard covered Trinity but I just loved it from there this this setting that was you know science fiction space psionics all these strange and weird and wonderful aliens. And I was hooked on that. I, I collected all the books for for Trinity and then Aberrant came out and I was a fan of that as well. Although I, I must admit, I've never managed to crack the secret behind running a good superheroes game. I love playing them. I love reading them. I love writing them. But the running, I, I don't know. I, I like running Trinity. I like running the rest of them, but Aberrant... The, the superheroes, I just never seem to know what to do. I think I get uh, decision paralysis by having too much choice. And then and then adventure and pick that up and, and love that as well. Ran a very long, successful campaign for adventure. And then sadly, of course, that line sort of went out of existence until many, many years. Onyx Path, Rich Thomas managed to bring it back and, and started all off again as the Trinity Continuum. And then my history on getting involved with that one, I had been a writer with uh, Onyx Path for a while. And I had heard that John Sneed was the developer. And to my shame, I just started haranguing him until <laughs> he gave me something to do. I kept saying, hey, John, you know, I'm available if you've got any, any assignments for this, this project that's coming together. And I think eventually he just gave in and, um, and said yes. <laughs> As a 
fellow freelancer, that is sometimes the way you have to do it. You just have to be like, hey, I'm here. I'm available. Hey there. And see what happens. Eventually they're like, yeah, okay, here's 5,000 words. Go and do it. <laughs> yeah, it was that kind of story, but it wasn't quite the here's 5,000 words. Go and do it. It was, you know, here's, here's 10,000 words for a couple of the settings. Oh, and while you're writing those, here's a couple more settings. And while you're writing that, the person who was going doing the side powers chapter just dropped out and said, you want to pick up that 30,000 words? <laughs> so by the time I'd finished... I'd gone from harassing the developer to writing almost a quarter of the word count in that book. <laughs> so I'm very proud of, of Trinity Continuum Aeon Absolutely. for that. It's, it's a great book. And so you and all the other writers on it deserve to be proud of the work done there. How, though, how did that lead you into becoming a developer for the books? Did you develop something outside of the Trinity Continuum books first or the first development work here on the TC line? My first development work i'm just trying to remember the timeline josh because a, a couple of things came together relatively closely but my first development work actually my first assistant developer work or additional development came way back with werewolf the apocalypse when Stu wilson working on shattered dreams through a couple of the additional kickstarter stretch goals my way and so i started learning the development trade that way and then from there excuse me, <clears throat> from there, I picked up a couple of Chronicles of Darkness, you know, jump starts, those, those kinds of things. So the smaller uh, properties, but then when I got into uh, all the writing on the Trinity Continuum, one of the, the ready-made player characters, Eddie Webb, reached out and said, would you like to develop this? And, and that was where I kind of got the start developing in there. And then from that smaller product came mission statements and then came Prometheus Unbound and, and came various other books. So it's it's kind of just grown from there. And, and as, I'm, as I'm sure you know, with the, the freelancer lifestyle, you, you're not never just a developer or just, right. just a writer. You're kind of doing a whole host of things anyway. And so you're developing books, you're still writing for other people's projects and, and it all comes together. And then it becomes just kind of one big pool of people We're all kind of drawing upon each other to get these these wonderful books out. It is definitely a collaborative process. I think there's a vision for folks that don't work on RPGs that there's, it's kind of, you do your thing and you disappear. And it's, it's not that there's so much collaboration and interaction. And even in the writing process, there is passing back and forth with red lines with the developer. We won't dive into that too much. We could talk, you know, shop all day long, but I guess my, my first big question for you then is what is Prometheus Unbound? Why should I be excited about this book? What's in it? Well, I would hope if you are a listener of this podcast, you already enjoy Trinity Continuum Aeon, and that should almost answer itself. You know, if, if you are a fan of this game, then I am thinking you are a fan of the Psy Orders and, and the Psy Powers, and this is the book for you. This, is, this was our opportunity to take the, the limited word count we had available in the, in the main TCA on book for Psy orders and then expand that out for each Psy order. And when I say each, you know, all eight of their Chitrabano is also included, uh, which we're very happy to be able to do. But do a deep dive and explore beneath the surface of each of those Psy orders. And, and when I say beneath the surface, I'm not trying to allude back to uh, the first edition where, as we know, Everything was a bit darker, as you've covered in, in this podcast. Everything was a bit darker. It, it definitely showed its, its lineage as a white wolf game, that conspiracies were everywhere. You know, these heroic orders had a lot of dark shadows following them around or attached to them. And, and you know, the player characters could get caught up in that or they could be the people exposing that. Whereas we've taken the, the opposite view, as I know you've talked about in, in previous podcasts, I took the opposite view that this is a more hopeful setting. This is much more of the light. The shadows are there for the players to work against, but they're not generally considered to be the areas the players are themselves taking the role of. So we wanted to explore that and especially some of the, the Psy orders, which, which I know a lot of people have in the past had a little bit of uh, conceptual trouble trying to kind of understand how they can be forces for good. So in this one, I'm talking ministry, uh, I'm talking Norsa, where, you know, first edition, much darker, you know, the telepaths and the thought control and the mind police and everything. And I really wanted us to be able to take the opportunity for not just those orders, but for all the orders 
to show people what is there and how these these can be your heroes. And so I'm very excited that you have you have history, you have organization, you have the projects that every Sci Order is is up to to give you some story hooks to start pursuing. You've got some of the main personalities in there. You've got people of note, both both current and former members, people who might be more problematic, who will come up as as antagonists later on. And that goes across each of the sciotas. And then at the end, we have a nice chunky sci powers chapter where we're able to expand the base side chapter in the TCA on to give people just so much more choice and then round it off with a whole bunch of new technology because I don't know about you, but I know me as a fan of uh, Trinity first edition, I always loved the tech. I loved the gear. I I was a fanboy for for just going straight to those chapters and going, oh, what cool stuff could my character have? So so I think in a nutshell, that is kind of the the whole book and why I am excited and why I think everyone else should be excited about it. Yeah, I, I enjoy the different layers of Prometheus Unbound, the, particularly the opportunity for things like the antagonists and some of the individual paths that exist within um, each of the orders, because it gives you those opportunities to really focus your character in specific ways where you're like, I'm part of the Upeo Amacho, but I'm this specific, now I'm trying to remember what, an example, but you know, I'm one of these specific types of folks in the order or the, the Esculpians where you have the docks that are going in that are like the action adventure docks almost. And you have the opportunity to, to dive in and, and learn about those sorts of folks. So that's my favorite part of, of this book is that it gives you those opportunities to understand the orders from different layers than you would necessarily mm. if you were um, just taking everything from the core book at face value, which is great. But then these gives you different layers of opportunity to say, this is my particular character and how they interact with and present themselves within the order. Yes. And, and the Upeo is a, is a great example. So in the, in the main book, you know, we had a single society path for, for them, for the teleporters. And look, that works. If, if all you have is the main book, that works. That gives you what you need. That's the order. If you want to play that character, that's what you've got. But here in Prometheus Unbound, we are able to give a society path for each of the pillars, for, for, for all the different core elements of that side order. So if you want to be the, the first responder, you've got that. If you want to be one of the long riders who go out and, and play kind of courier to the stars, you've got that. We introduced an entire new pillar, which was the Wawandaji, who are kind of the new warrior class, if I can put it that way. So so they're new, they're still finding their feet, but so we get uh, the opportunity for people to go down that path. And, and part of what I want to give as I'm writing all these paths, and, and if we talk a little bit about mission statements as well later, we've got plenty of paths in there, is from the Trinity Continuum Core book, it tells you how to write paths, and that's great. And so what I want to do from that is to just give so many examples in all our books that people can see, players can see, and story, story guides can see, hey, this is how that works. You know, there's a mechanic I've read. And that's fine, but here's how it works across so many different iterations that I get a sense of what I can change and I can understand all the, the levers and knobs I can change the settings on and, and that it becomes easier and people really start to absorb the game and not just go, oh, well, I'm locked into the four skills and the 15 edges that, that the writers have chosen to give me. It's like, no, no, I want that path, but my character focuses on this slightly different thing. And the story guides can say yes, because that is fine. Yep. I that is one of my favorite elements of Story Path, but particularly of Trinity Continuum, is the flexibility of being able to create within the the mechanics of the setting, uh, the mechanics of the book, and not feel like you are breaking anything by doing that. The book encourages you and says, these are ways to manipulate the mm. system to do what you want, which just is so flexible. And it is helpful as a creator to know too, like these are the knobs that I'm allowed to turn yeah. in either community content or in anything official. If you get that opportunity is like this provides those opportunities for you to know, like, the, these are the things that I can do 
creatively and uh, options to provide. So Prometheus of Unbound does a lot of those sorts of giving frameworks. So I think it definitely does a good job with that. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for that. Because yeah, we want to give those frameworks. We want to show people how to do it. But also, I am very conscious of the fact that, you know, I'm very time poor. I'm sure every other story guide and player out there is also time poor. So as much as we love creating uh, new stuff for our game, sometimes you just want to open up to a page, you know, page 154, there's the UPO paths. I'm grabbing one of those. You know, I don't need to do any more thinking about it beyond which of the five pillars do I want. And there it is. Yep. So we help people that way as well. Yeah, which is super helpful. Sometimes my favorite games are the ones where you roll on random tables for your character creation. And while that's not an element of the Trinity continuum, having options where you can just open up a book and go, hey, I'm going to take this wholesale makes it super easy to do that. Yeah. So when Scott and Chaz and I were talking about how people could read this book, we had suggested that folks kind of bounce around into the chapters. You know, find the, the order that you're most interested in, read about them. Would you, you know, recommend folks do the same or would you say, no, I think folks should read this chapter or, you know, cover to cover, chapter to chapter. What sort of way would you suggest folks tackle the book? No, I think the way you have suggested is exactly the way I would recommend as well. This is this is not a book where, as, as much as I want everyone to read every word in there because they're all great, this is not a book where you have to start on page one and then work your way to, to page 200 and whatever to understand what's going on. So many people are going to get the value, the first value from the book from saying, I really want to play X and I want to know more about that order. And so, of course, turn to that, that order and see what we have in store for you you know play with that and then start flicking back and forth because all the orders as well none of them exist in a vacuum and you'll find going through each chapter the hooks and the links that tie into other psi orders and so i my myself would find i'd be reading a chapter and going oh that's right they're doing some project with the isra so okay turn to that chapter and then i'd start reading that before i knew it i'd find myself basically bouncing around the book reading little bits and pieces of each chapter. But I also must admit, like I said earlier in, in our chat, I'd turn to the tech chapter first just because I like seeing what little toys we've got there and go, oh, this is really cool stuff. Now let me go to the Sci Order chapter and see what the heck we're talking about with this, this new technology and these new tools. Like, why do they need them? Why, why have they got them? So, no, I think bouncing around the book uh, is the right way of doing Prometheus Unbound. I mean, that, there is no wrong way. If someone really wants to start with the Escalapians and then work their way through all the way to the Upeo, well, go for it. You know, that is also as developers, the ways we've kind of read that the book many times as well as we've gone through to make sure it all pulls together. And I, and I must admit, I, I've got to give credit where it's due. I'm, I'm co-developer on this book and John Sneed was my co-developer as well. So, you know, we were working together to go through, uh, we had our primary chapters and then we kind of went through each other's chapters as well. And we, we brought it all together. So I think you can also really enjoy the book starting on page one and going to page 200 and something, um, whatever the final page is that I've forgotten at the moment. 268, maybe. That is there a, we go. a shot in the dark. I think it's somewhere around there. I could be Sounds wrong. good to me. <laughs> right. I know I tackled the book different ways uh, when I was looking at it in, at different ways, but I think it is good to know that you can dive in in any direction and get a lot from this book. There are some books that build on each other and some that are just these toolboxes. And this is definitely mm -hmm. a toolbox book where you can go, hey, I want to tell a story about this particular order. Let me dig in, learn about them. And then, you know, I come away from the Orgotech cha chapter, the one that immediately comes to mind and going, there are so many mysteries here that I want to tell these stories with my players. I want to unravel some of these mysteries. I want to put them in front of them and say, what is going on with the Prexy of the Orgotech uh -huh. order? Hmm. I'm not going to spoil anything for anyone that wants to read that <laughs> chapter, but there's some, there's some meat there. I'm glad you picked up on that one because, yeah, that, that got thrown in kind of late in the development that it was like, oh, let's just add, add a little something here that, that people can make something of or not as they please. So I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that. And, and Orgotech is one of my favourites, and I'm very much looking forward to when Mission Statements comes out because we made a conscious decision 
in those two books. And let me go back just a, a little bit into the, the history, a little bit behind the curtain. So originally the organization's book was pitched as one thing where you'd have meta corporations, the Psy orders, you know, bad guys, uh, antagonists, you'd have the UN, you'd have Eon, all in one book. That book, if we had have written that, would have either A, been about 500 pages long and everyone would go, there's no way I can put that on my shelf, or B, it would have not done justice to anything that it was trying to look at. So Ian Watson and, and the powers that be made the decision, let's split that into two books, which I think was the very much the right, right choice. Then we, as developers, made the choice of, well, let's split the meta-corporation aspects of Orgatech into mission statements and the sci-order aspects into Prometheus Unbound. So what you've read so far, what is out to the public so far, is just kind of that one specific focus on Orgotech. And there is a lot more to see and to expand the, the meta-corporation and to see what else Castle's up to, what else the different divisions are up to and how they work together in the broader world. So I'm very excited for that. I am excited for that as well. Just hearing bits and pieces of it. That sort of answers what mission statements is about. But now I'm going to ask you, what's mission statements about? Well, that's the organization's book. It's funny you should ask. <laughs> okay. uh, for the other side of the house. So for that one, we cover the, the, the big world spanning organizations of E.ON and the E.ON Trinity and the U.N., and then we bring it down to the, the meta corporations and we just give a lot of different organizations. So let me let me put it this way. If if you've come at uh, TCA on from the traditional, I want to play Scions and I want to play for the Psy Orders direction, absolutely, you've got what you need already with Prometheus Unbound. If you're looking at the vastness of this universe and saying, hey, maybe I want my character to go off and be something else, either a freelance sign or do I want to work for another company? Do I not want to sign? Do I want to play a talent who, who works for something? Here's all your employers that you'll want, you know, and you'll have, do I want to work for the, the Trinity, Aeon Trinity? Sure, we've, we've expanded what we had in the, in the main book. Let's look at the other side of the coin, the UN, you know, the, the actual official partners who work uh, hand in glove with Aeon, but sometimes, you know, there are disagreements. Sometimes they don't necessarily uh, want to do everything the same way. So we, we explore that. We've got the big meta corporations, Orgotech we've covered, we've got the big media uh, corporations of your OBCs and your NSMs and, you know, them moving around the world and how they interact with people, how they interact with each other. We've got a whole bunch of what we've called outlaws. So they're the slightly shadier organizations. So mission statements is, it gives, I'll, I'll divide it into three buckets. You've got the unabashed good guys, for our setting and of course story guides can make can turn the brightness up or down as much as they want they can have them to be you know orgotech can be 100 good guys or they can be 99 good guys but you know they're still profit driven so let's see what that works how that works for our game you've then got the slightly let's say slightly grayer companies where we've made them deliberately player facing but they have some skeletons in their closet and that's something for the players to either discover, disclose, you know, root out that the bad side or maybe get tempted by the dark side and decide, hey, let's let's delve into that for a while. And a really good example of that, which we were hoping to keep unspoiled for a while, but the, the way things got released didn't end up working out. But the Hung Biotechnics is an actual meta corporation in this, which we've had to change it up a little bit from the first edition. It's not just a, a conspiracy operating within Orgotech and the Escalapians anymore. It is its own thing, but you know, it certainly has some of those skeletons that people could definitely uncover. And then we've got the bad guys. You know, we've got the purely antagonist organizations who if your players want to play them, you've definitely gone down a dark path game, you know, because they're not the good guys. They're the ones who are definitely trying to either be completely self-serving or make the world a, a worse place, but better, you know, just for the one or two of them who are running that organization. So they're the ones you're definitely going to fight. And then scattered around all that, we have a whole bunch of just wonders and threats across the world, which I think has been a really good addition to just about every book in the, the Eon line so far, except Prometheus Unbound, where we did focus, keep the focus on the Psy orders. But every other book has had that section where we've said, okay, in the context of what we're looking at, 
what are some of the things out there that people will interact with? You know, what are the what are the threats? What are the uh, the weirdnesses that exist in the setting? What are the things that people are trying to do? You know, these are the ready-made story hooks that a story guide can, with just a little bit of you know polishing around the edges to make it fit their game, plonk it in, and off they go. So. And then we round that all out with, again, technology, because as I've said, love the technology chapter. I want to have that for people to have toys to play with. And then advice on story guiding organizations, which includes a whole system of kind of taking the core elements of, of TC Core and adapting some of those to make your organizations as antagonists. So not only can you just run them narratively, which 100% is a legitimate choice, if you want to actually have some mechanics around it to say, if my players' characters do this against an organization, how could it respond? And what are the resources it has to respond with? And how could they actually take it down in an actual mechanical way? Where are its vulnerabilities? What are, what, are, what are their actions going to do that will impact it? And so I'm very excited for that, all that to be out in the wild for people to see. I was excited before. I, I have to say I'm more excited now. We just finished uh, reading Terra Firma as a group of podcast hosts, and the weirdness of the setting was one of my favorite parts of Terra Firma and being able to, to take those like story hook things. So having more of those, I will never say there are too many of them, but at some point I'm going to be uh, like, I actually have to run Aeon so I can do all these different story hook ideas that I have from the, the concepts that are there. It'll happen one of these days. Yeah. And you look, no, no story guide is required to make everything exist in their mm -hmm. world. Like we are, we, our, our goal as developers and writers is to throw so much stuff at you that you just decide, okay, I'm going to take these and I'm going to leave those behind and play that. I mean, they could exist, they may not exist. It's entirely up to individual groups and no canon police are going to be kicking down your door because you didn't include this version of whatever we gave you that you just decided, you know what, in my game, I've already got enough. That thing's just going to sit on the shelf till my next campaign. And the best thing about the continuum is that literally it is a continuum of possibilities that you can take ideas from and mm -hmm. use that and everything else can exist in a parallel universe if you wanted to, or just not exist. And that's fine. There's that it's so freeing to have a canon statement of make it what you will. Mm. Every RPG is true for that, but some are better at saying you don't have to adhere to the lore of this setting to play this. And I think Trinity Continuum does a really good job of being a toolbox to reach yes. into and pull out and say, I'm going to play with this wrench today and see what stories we can tell with that. Yeah. And I think, um, sorry, Josh, I was just going to say, I think yeah, the, the, the meta plots of the past were all well and good back in you know, 20, 30 years ago. But we've learned from that, and as you say, it was it was hard as a as a story story guide or a storyteller or, or a DM or a GM back then, if you were running a game and you were really excited to introduce things from the next book, but you discovered that your campaign had already gone so far off that you were going to have to do so much work to then drag your campaign to the book or drag that book to your campaign that it became. Yeah, a frustration rather than a pleasure. So I really like the the meta plot agnostic way that we're approaching the Trinity Continuum games. That you know there is a story, and of course, generally in the setting secrets chapter of every main book, we will say, "Here's how things will progress if the players don't get involved. Take or leave as much as you want." And as I'm fond of saying to to people who ask me how the continuum fits together, you know, aberrant is eons past but that doesn't necessarily mean for your game eon is average future right so i enjoy that yep and the same thing with all of the different flavors like adventure is the start of the setting even though we're going to have ether and all of that wonderfulness when that comes out but if we go from the original trilogy adventure is the start but it doesn't necessarily have to be the true backstory of anything you can pull elements of that you can use ideas from it or you can run aeon completely devoid of any connection to any of the other games and no one is going to come to you and tell you hey you've got to do it differently so that's awesome with this book with prometheus unbound I see a lot of value for story guides in particular with it, but we've talked a little bit about this. Would you say this is more of a story guide book or a player book or both? 
This is one where I think on the surface, it's going to appear like it's a player book. It's a player facing book. It's got a lot of options for your players. You've got, I want to run a Legion character. Okay. How do I fit into a, a sci-fi military? Who are, who are the other legions around me? How can I interact with them? You know, your player suddenly has so much choice, but that's slightly deceptive because all of that choice for players is story guide facing as well. It's okay. You've chosen this kind of character. Who can I pluck out of different bits? Can I have a character from a different division who suddenly appeared in a game to say, hey, I need your help. And then you, you deal with the, okay, do I just give them the help? Does that create any issues? Is there a, to use the Legion's example, is there a chain of command thing? Am I going to get in trouble by doing what that person wants? You have all those options the story guide can draw upon. Plus, much like a, uh, a character backstory. So, you know, you get your players to, to create the characters. As a story guide, I always love when, you know, you can, you, your players sit down and they write a half page or a page of, here's what happened. You're like, okay, story hooks galore for me to, to use. All of these chapters are ready made that way as well for the story guides. As a player, if I want to write a page of, of back, background, that's great for your story guide. If I don't have the time or if the story guide wants to add more, here's 10,000 words per chapter to grab that stuff from. You know, Here's a whole bunch of extra stuff that if you belong to that order, here's a lot of the baggage you're carrying with you that I could tap into as a story guide. So, so to answer your question, as I was saying, I think this book on the surface is player facing, but it is more, it is also story guide facing. So both of them should, I would hope, be able to, to pull out stuff. And not only for the characters the players are facing, but understanding how the side orders fit together, as a story guide, if all my characters, if, if none of my characters say the ministry, that's okay. But here I have an entire chapter to how do I bring the ministry into the game as people that you have to work with, people who are possibly at cross purposes to you. They've got their own agendas. You know, are you going to make peace with them? Is this going to end up in a bit of a conflict? So all of that is, is available for story guides as well. Yeah. And I'll say having read this a couple of times, when you read each chapter, there are so many things that leap off the page for I can run an entire chronicle based on this one line or two lines or the entire chapter that you will never run out of story ideas as a story guide reading this book. No. If I had the core book and I had this book, I would have enough to run games for centuries. And that is my pitch for saying it's, uh, I agree with you, it's for both story guides and players, but that is great because then it's just an opportunity for more people to experience um, the book and get things from it. You've already done a, a good job, I think, of pulling out specific pitch ideas for it, like how you would sell this to someone. But is there something specific? Uh -huh. Is there like a, a pitch you give someone like, hey, Prometheus Abound, uh, Unbound is about blah, and this is why you should get it? A lot of the interactions, so something I haven't talked about as much, a lot of the interaction I have on the Discord and on forums with, with my dev hat semi-on is people asking about psi powers and, you know, I want to do X. Could, could, I, could my electrokinetic do that? And then we've got to go, okay, let's come up with ways of doing that. So a lot of the people I deal with, even beyond the, oh, I want to play a, an Orgotech guy. Okay, great. Prometheus Unbound is for you. Hey, you like your scions? You want to do more with your powers? This is the book for you as well. You know, we go into not just tables and numbers, they're there, but that's not all. We go into some of the behind the scenes of what, what the powers actually represent. I mean, you know, what, what are the different influences? What are the parameters that you should be looking at when you're thinking, can my character do X or Y? You know, does it fit within that aptitude? And then let's make that happen. Do you want to add scale to something? Here's a couple of ways to do it, you know? Are you in a late stage campaign where all your characters are basically at proxy status? Here's how you make new proxy powers. You know, all of that stuff, I think I, I get very excited and I love throwing that. But as I say, that that subset of the of the the player fan base, and actually it's it's a very large subset because most people get into Eon because they like the Psy, they like playing Scions. People want to know how they can do more. And we've kind of made a system that I won't say it's a full mage. It's certainly not quite all the, the flexibility of the spheres or the arcana, but it really opens up 
what you can do. And you can say, okay, I want to try X and just stir a go and go, go for it. You know, if you can make the make the the dice pool and if you can get enough successes, then what you want will happen. So that's something I also enjoy pitching out to people. Yeah, absolutely. I think I enjoy in this edition of the game that flexibility of Psy and I really enjoy when scions work together and expand mm. their powers and the, the system around needing one another to be really like be extra powerful. It encourages group cohesion to be like, I need you to do this extra special thing. And I like that Prometheus Unbound takes that to the next level and then says, hey, here's even more you can do mm. by pushing and by kind of growing the way that you interact with this system. StoryPath is a very flexible system. And at the same time, it's not free form, but it is crunchy in the right direction for me, at least. You know, it, there are crunchy games, GURPS, that, is, that are too mm -hmm. much, that are, you know, lots of math and numbers. And you're like, am I really simulating the thing I want to in the end with this? StoryPath does just enough where it's like, I feel like I'm playing in, you know, an aberrant superhero game or an Aeon sci-fi space opera, yeah. you know, it feels like what it needs to. Yeah. And we try to find that, that sweet spot between uh, narrative and crunch. I mean, you could have a very narrative game where, you know, whatever you say your power is, is what your power is. That's, that's, great if you want to play that style game and like you say on the other end of the of the spectrum you have this you know if the numbers say yes you can do it otherwise no it is out of bounds and we want to find something in the middle of that for the story part because you know if people want narrative they can throw the numbers out that's fine if they but a lot of people do want guidelines i find uh, a lot of people that i interact with asking that question of how do i do x and you as much as i want to say just make something up and do it however it works at your table i give it a little bit more thought and say here's a few ways we could we could come at it and we tried to hit that sweet spot in the sci system in the expansion part and also in the in the original and if we go back to first edition trinity they had a free form sci system in the player's guide which i must admit i found too crunchy yeah. Like it involved a lot of going back and forth. And if you do this, you add that factor and then you have to go over to this. And we tried to get away from that and say, okay, there's some really good bits we can kind of take inspiration from there, but let's keep this at, you know, what I want to do, what level power is it? How many successes will I need? Let's go for it. So there's still a lot of things that people can sit down. And if, if you're the kind of player, which I know I was once upon a time, like to sit down with the numbers and just write out different permutations of what I could possibly do and, and how I would get it done for my character, go for it. You've got that. If you're sitting at a table and you're just like, oh, how do I do this slightly different thing with an existing power? Okay, that's easy enough as well. I would also like to, to just, on the side powers, one of the not really stated themes of Eon, like Unity, absolutely, like you were just saying, but Discovery, I think, is one of those unstated themes as well. Yep. It would be very easy, and to give away a few you know, setting secrets and spoilers here, don't listen if you don't want to know anything about the setting secrets, folks. You know, the Doyen manipulated humanity towards their purposes but for the purposes of our setting humanity doesn't do so well with just being constrained into staying in its lane and only doing that so one of the things we constantly want to do with eon as well is give people the opportunity to push those boundaries so you know doyen say this is your aptitudes this is your mode do that humans go yeah thanks thanks guy that's great but i'm going to try twisting what I can do. I'm going to experiment. It, it comes down to that, um, that meme, that internet meme about, you know, Star Trek and humanity, that if you give them, you know, two warp drives, they'll ask for a third and they'll <laughs> sacrifice one right. and they'll go to another, you know, that's what we want humanity to be doing in Eon as well. Just saying, yeah, great. All these aliens doing their thing, but we're just going to twist it different ways and see what we can do. So that's also what the, what Prometheus Unbound is meant to give you. Um, the opportunity to say, here's, everything in front of me let's go explore that universe let's well, whether that's exploring the universe on earth outside in deep space you know trying to push the boundaries of what what we know around you know dimensions and the like go for it i think that's one of my favorite elements of aeon is that it is not 
stuck to one genre of sci-fi there's an opportunity for pretty much any genre of sci-fi that you can imagine to be in eon and prometheus unbound does a really good job of saying here are tools for you to continue playing that space opera or play that cyberpunk game or play you know whatever genre of sci-fi you want to here are tools to continue that story which is just a great and hard thing as a, a game writer to do is to be able to provide the right toolbox to use in multiple ways. You know, ne- nothing is perfect, but I think this book does a really good job where, you know, the Chitrabanu can be involved in your space opera game. And that fits just as easily as them being in a post-apocalyptic uh, sci-fi sort of story, which again, you can do all that with Aeon setting. So. Yeah, and that was one of the challenges, and, and thank you very much for for, for 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 raising it, that it was one of the challenges that you have this core game where, as you say, there are so many different genres in there for sci-fi. Now, we want to write the sci orders, but not exclude any of those genres. So, you know, I do not, I, I want you to be able to pick up, or what's a what's a sci order I haven't picked on so far? Uh, Chitrabana, like you're saying, yeah, I want you to be able to pick them up and run your post-apocalyptic game, run your cyberpunk game, space opera, throw them in the middle of rescue mission to, to, to Nippon, to go through the undisclosed areas and get as many latents out as you can. Like, I don't know, whatever you want, I want to be able to drop them into all those different things we've introduced for the world and not write any of the sci in a way where a player or a story guide is going to look at it and say, oh, look, you can take any other seven sci but you can't have that one because it just won't fit for that game. Like that would have been my nightmare, but I think we managed to dodge that bullet. Yeah, I think in general, except when you get into things like Distant Worlds to some degree where uh, that book is a little bit hard to do a cyberpunk story in, I, I mm-hmm. think you could do it with with some of the off-world stuff, but most of the books are designed really well where there's you can pull elements and still use those bits and pieces in whatever version of the of the Trini continuum story you want to tell so that's all been as a reader and a player and a story guide that has been made every book valuable to me where I've never thought with any of them that I picked up like I wish I hadn't got this I've always been like I can pull this from this if I want to run this you know you know, cyberpunk kin game, I can Mm -hmm. do that with pulling things from all of these various books. And you can do some wild stuff if you wanted to, you know, pull on things that don't seem like they would go together, you could probably put it together pretty easily. I would love one day if someone, (laughs) if someone came up to me and said, or or on one of the forums just just mentioned, you know, I've taken the, 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 I've taken what we had in Distant Worlds and Under Alien Skies, and I'm running a chromatic campaign, and we're yeah. just going to base it on Chrome Prime. You know, I'm taking the lizards, and we're, we're having an uprising against the, the, the bodiless ones, you know, because we put all that good stuff in there that you can, if you want, you know, here's, here's thousands of years of history for, for what is essentially an alien species, um, do stuff with it. And I would love if someone, like, I don't expect that that's the core theme of the game. A lot of people won't, but it's all there. And I really, it would very much tickle my fancy one day if someone just (laughs) came to me and said, I've run this Chromatics game and it was great. I had the same thought about running a Chromatics game. Oh, go and do it. (laughs) One of these days, probably it would be like a con game because I can't imagine running that as a Chronicle, but like running it as like a one or two shot would be really good. Like that I think would, catch people's interest and be like what game is this and be like well it's trinity continuum aeon but <laughs> we're doing something a little bit different and like there's a piece of art from under alien skies where you have a chromatic a shoot i, I don't remember who uh, there are a couple of different One of the coalitions yeah, yeah i remember at, the, at the bar such a good image because it's like this is a possible future of this setting if you want to make it where all of these groups are getting together and interacting super cool yeah, and that's again one of the things that humanity should be doing. It's you know we have 
we have differences, but I think I'm trying to remember exactly who said it, whether it was Scott or, or yourself or, or not. In one of your previous podcasts, you were saying kind of that seems to be humanity's superpowers, making allies out of out of enemies. And yep. and that's what <laughs> that's what you would want to do. You know, it would be great to have that game where, okay, we've had the war with the chromatics and now we've managed to figure out that we're both being manipulated. So let's work together. Okay, I now have chromatic members on my on my leviathan with me and they're doing their thing and we're, we're exploring space and there's our there's our chin contingent over there and now let's go get the coalition on side because you know we all need to work together here like that would be a lot of fun and that would be very star trek space opera we'd be very star trekky and i would love it <laughs> the idea of doing like a post aeon game has come up in the fan community several times and mm -hmm. ian of course feeds it every time it comes up but the idea of seeing a more space opera-y sort of setting. You have all the tools in the books that Aeon provides at this point. Like you could run that game and it would be completely viable and mechanically sound with everything that we've been presented. So if anyone wants to run that space opera, I'm just telling you, you can do that with the tools that are out there for this game already. Oh, absolutely. And it doesn't take much. Um... Like I know some people say, oh, you have to have a teleporter or you, you're you blocking yourself from being able to do, you know, interstellar games. It's like, it takes the tiniest tweak to the setting. Fast forward it five years if you want to say, okay, you know, now that the UPO are back, now that they're working with all the other orders again, we now have jump gates around yep. different systems or we now have teleport drives, you know, small scale testers on every ship that wants one. Yeah, that is so easy to do. And that is one of those things where every every table should take it their own way. And suddenly you've just opened up, you know, you can do you can do Star Trek style FTL, or you can do Babylon 5 style. You know, let's have a few strategically located space stations just near the convenient jump gates that get caught up in all the drama that goes on there. Like that would be another great game. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that just fills me with cool ideas. Like uh, <laughs> I can see the wheels turning in your head. <laughs> Eclipse phase is one of my favorite mm -hmm. horror sci-fi genres. And the, the gates in that game are really, they're an awesome opportunity for jumping into the unknown. And you can do that in Aeon too, where you could have um, a jump ship and you're just like, Hey, we're going to go into the unknown. And yeah, you can run that same sort of like, space horror very easily with everything that we've got as tools for this and it would be cool so yeah and one of the things which you know because i i scribble down ideas all the time and then just never seem to find time to write them all up but i've got a you know book full of ideas but but even things like we've got you know your teleporters and your leviathans if you want to go thirty thousand light years away from earth great they they do that because you know they work off of familiar familiarity noetic connections and the like but what if we had a jump drive that we yeah, we've managed to put together a jump drive that can only do up to 100 light years at a time suddenly you have this massive sphere around earth around the solar system that is basically unexplored in the setting so far so go for it and where do you think all those aberrants who went exploring back in that era went well they're probably in that first 100 light years so you suddenly have colony efforts everywhere you've got you know sleeper ships stasis ships who are just slowly working at slower than light trying to get to the next star systems yeah maybe someone wants to go find them and wake them up and say hey we can actually make your life a bit easier now you don't have to wait another hundred years in sleep how about we just get you to where you're going yeah so so many options i i do love the setting for for all that opportunity we've got yeah Absolutely. I want to ask you a more inside baseball sort of question now, sure. because I'm curious about your development process. Can you bring us kind of from outline all the way until the end of the, the process for you? Yeah, sure. So generally when a book will come at you one of two ways as a developer, either you will have an idea, you'll write it out as a pitch and you know send it to the powers that be and they will go, you know, yes, no, or yes with changes, or not right now is also <laughs> a viable answer. Or someone else uh, on a team will have pitched something, but they're not you know, at the point where they're ready to develop it, they have too much on their plate or whatever. And so you'll, you'll receive that pitch and say, hey, can you put together an outline for this? I tend to be the kind of developer who 
puts a fair bit of effort into their outlines. Like I have worked for for other developers as well who who kind of have a two page sketch of what they're after, and that's that's fine. That's their process. I tend to have about you know six to eight thousand words on breaking down each chapter because I sit down and I think, okay, what does this book need, and I want to give as much guidance to my writers as possible early on, but also capture the the mood and the spirit of what what I'm thinking when I'm doing each chapter. So, so I'll often put in, you'll have noticed in, in, in Onyx Park books, you know, each chapter starts with, with a quote and then it'll have a little bit of handshake text describing it. I tend to put that at the beginning of each of my chapter outlines as well. And that doesn't mean this has to be the quote that the writer has to use. It's just, here's what got me in the mood for this chapter. So, so use that if you want, don't use that, that's fine. But Hopefully it gives people a bit of insight into what I'm thinking. And then I'll give a whole bunch of, of, of non-prescriptive details. It's like in this chapter, we're going to cover, you know, X. I would like to see these things in here. However, that should take you know, maybe 25% of the word count. The rest builds on that or builds something else or, or gives me all the bits and pieces. So I like to throw out ideas that I, I am having as I go through, but they're very much not, as I say, not prescriptive. And if a writer comes back to me and says, you know what, you asked for that, but that didn't fit with what everything else was, but here's these other great ideas I've done, then that's absolutely fine. Because as a developer, one of the things that that you quickly find is your writers will surprise you. You know, you will say, here's a thousand words, just write this specific thing. And they will come at it from such a different direction and you will go, I would never would have thought of that in a thousand years. That is amazing. So that's my outline process. Get that out to the writers. Then I like to uh, have people talking, sharing chapters, generally trying to come up with, with a bit of collaboration going. That is hard sometimes and we have a lot of good tools we have discords we have email we have all these all these forums we can we can talk at to get collaboration going but sometimes it's hard to overcome that that traditional kind of freelancer sit in your office get your work done don't talk to anyone else until red line time yeah. um, so you really have to kind of encourage people and and try and draw them into have you spoken to x have you guys come up with something together sometimes you need to do like we're doing now and just set up time for a, for a conversation by a computer where everyone's there going okay well i was thinking this and stuff will spill out from that i generally try and leave writers alone though once we hit the first draft stages apart from popping in every you know few weeks to just say how's people how are people going are you on track has anyone got any problems anyone hitting brick walls they would like to just talk through until we get a solution uh, so that we can get ourselves to red lines. Um, with red lines, I, I tend to approach red lines much like I approach the books. Like I was saying before with Prometheus Unbound, I'll dip into different chapters and I'll get a sense of what's going on. I try to force myself to sit and read an entire chapter before I start scribbling notes because you can, and I have done in the past when I do stop, reminding myself to not make notes i'll be i'll be writing things down saying oh what about this what about that and then discover that two paragraphs later the writers actually answered that for me i'm like okay i'm gonna go delete those comments now so you try and read it all and then how much advice i give in my red lines depends on the writer and i try and tailor it very much for the writer like i like i like bringing new writers into projects you know giving them a chance to cut their teeth and to to see if this is an industry a job that they actually like because a lot of people a lot of fans i think look at the writing of role-playing games and say oh i enjoy being a story guide i think i'd like being a writer but it's a, it is a different skill set yep. it's not that they can't do it but it involves just sitting down and churning up those words sometimes and not having that interaction with your players and seeing how it you know from the time you've written your idea to the time that it actually reaches the fans and you start seeing the feedback can be a year two years Age, you know, it can not, be even I've longer written, than that yeah it can be longer than that it's yeah you don't get to just i've written my campaign now i'm throwing it at the players and let's see how we go so so i like bringing new people on see how they go i'll often give them a lot more detail in the red lines of you know here's how you've approached it, here's what Onyx Path would like, or here's how this needs to be to tie into something else. Whereas I have old 
I'm going to call them old hats, so that the, you know, the people who have worked on many, many projects, and I, I can throw a shout out to, to some uh, people, some of my, my, my favourite people to read and work with, you know, Chris Allen, John Sneed, Travis Legg, you know, these folks who, who understand the setting really well, and all I've really got to do for them is just tweak a few things and say, oh, actually, go and have a talk to this other writer who has also touched on this thing that you've said, and you guys work out how they they come together or I really like the way you did it more than the way they did it. So let's bring those to a hybrid. And yeah, so that'll be quite light. And generally then by the time we get all that done, you get your second drafts in and it's just polishing and trying to bring the different voices together. And depending on the book, depends on how much you have to do that. A book like Prometheus Unbound with eight different side orders, eight different voices, that's absolutely what we wanted. You know, right. you didn't want one writer writing all eight and having the same voice across all of them. You wanted things to be different. But some other books, you want to make sure that, okay, what you've written really meshes with what that other person's written. So as a developer, I now have to just go through and kind of, so I'll put all the paragraphs together and then I'll just start reading. I'll be like, okay, I'll tweak that wording. I'll move that. I'll change this little bit around to a certain degree. And then off it goes to editing and you, you try and not think about the things you've missed because that is always the case as soon as you send something off find it yeah (laughs) editor will always find it and it always seems to be that five minutes after you've saved the files and sent them off that you find the next mistake and you're like oh dear how did that miss how did i miss that and so yeah that's my process josh probably a little more hands-on than than some people but um it works for me and i think i think it works for my writers and they learn something from it awesome I think even when you do with all the layers that go through an RPG book, like editing, proofreading, development, things still end up in the book where you're like, oh, that was a mistake. And then like people don't realize how human that is to just happen where you're like, you know, an an instead of an and is so easy to miss, even when you are putting it before so many eyes and going, hey, look at this and make sure it's good. I used to be a critical, you know, fan before I got mm-hmm. involved in the industry. And at this point, I'm like, if it's 98% good, I'm happy. Like, because that 2% is going to come out where you're like, I wish this was better. And you're like, well, it's still great. So it's never going to be perfect. And if I ever do find a perfect RPG book, I don't know what I would do with myself. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think one of the things that I, I would like our listeners and our fans to, to realize is that we all are human as well. And we learn as we go. And sometimes you get questions, you know, which are, why didn't you do it this way? You know, a good example that I, that I often get is, you know, Aeon doesn't really tap into scale as much as, as say Aberrant does. Why didn't you do it? And the answer is, well, because when we were writing it, we didn't have the extra three years of experience with how scale was going to work. If I was going back and redoing it now, sure, I'd probably tap into that a lot more. But at the time, you know, it works and it's a good system and people seem to enjoy it. And here's some other ways you can add scale to it now. But yeah, and there's always something. And I, I've, I have to have a, have a laugh sometimes that we'll have, and Prometheus Unbound is a, is a good example. In the Psy Powers chapter, you know, it had been through all the development, had been through editing, it had been through the post-editing development, went out to the, the readers, and you had that that couple of weeks of kind of open source people spotting typos and the like, and that was fine. And it wasn't until another month or two after that that someone's just come and said, oh, this table says X, you know, how do I incorporate that? And I've looked and I've gone, that's a mistake. Yep. Yeah, that should have been fixed. Sorry. <laughs> like that it's it's a small thing and it's easy enough for people to to work around but but through all those eyes and brains that the book had gone through and no one had noticed it for a good two years and what can you do yep you know these things happen my greatest rpg story is uh, my first onyx path project was gods and monsters for mage 20th anniversary edition Mm -hmm. i missed an entire power ability called size in the uh, the section that i was writing and when you're creating a bygone 
for people that aren't familiar with mage, those are creatures that don't exist, mythological creatures that don't really exist anymore in the current era. You can't really make bygones without size as a mechanic. And that just doesn't <laughs> exist in that book. And I'm sorry <laughs> to anyone that reads that book and is like, where's size? Well, it just got missed because it's one of those things where you're like, you're trying to get things done and you've got a deadline. And sometimes things like they don't make it there. So, you know, that's my, that's my big story for, you know, just missing one of those things. <laughs> We've all had stories like that. Yours is for the worst, but, <laughs> no. <laughs> but no, we get there. It, it always is the worst when it's yours. You're always like, ah, I'm more critical of this than I would be anyone else's. But one of the questions that, that Scott had that he wanted to ask you is if you can expand on the theme of stealing fire from the gods in Prometheus Unbound. Did you, you, you kind of touched on that in Prometheus Unbound? Can you tell us a little bit more? So a little peek behind the curtains. This is one of those things that admittedly, John and I hadn't really given a lot of thought to when we went through on and did first drafts and did the outlines and, and stuff. And we sent it through to you know, Onyx Path to have a look at. And Ian Watson had come out quite rightly and said, so where's all the Prometheus Unbound stuff? Where's the, where's the tying it into the legend? And we went, oh, yeah. That's we, we kind of missed that. Glad that you noticed and not the not the readers. So so we had to kind of think about okay, how does each order approach that? And that's that's one of those those interesting things that I think you're looking at a metaphor for you know, humans taking fire from the gods, but how do we bring that into into Eon and and the personalities of the proxies? because some of them are very down to earth and some of them are very, you know, able to tap into that myth. And so we, we played with it a little bit there. And, and one of the funny things, well, things I find amusing was, you know, we added that as Matthew Zweidler had come up with the, the Prometheus idea and, you know, the proxy of the Escalapian audio is not known to be a particularly whimsical <laughs> person so it's interesting that he was the one who came up to it and so we had to think okay came up with it i think he was you know he's going okay how do we just tie this in but then you felt alex castle who's like yeah you know telling all these friends actually if i came up with with prometheus because i understand branding if matthew had his way he would have called it this this you know unwieldy acronym which was yeah. scientifically kind of accurate and descriptive but no one would have used so we played with it a little bit that way I think tying it to Prometheus goes back to a little bit of what I was saying before with the discovery theme, which is uh, not ever really stated in in a lot of the Eon books, but but humans discovering beyond the boundaries of what they've been given. Because even though you have this Prometheus legend and the tie into the mythology, essentially we were given those powers by you know, an outside force who wanted it to be constrained and that then takes you back to that kind of looking at the mythology of well no we couldn't have the fire we that wasn't for us that was you can have what you we have given you and that's what you got and slowly and through the games that people will play and through the looking at the side powers and and pushing them and twisting them in different ways and seeing what comes up we are taking that fire off the gods until we reach a point that humanity's like no no the fire is ours now you can't have it you you can either coexist with us or we will be forced to to get rid of you so i, I don't know did that answer the question i'm, I'm yeah, trying to i, to I think, think it does. It's, it's a tricky one it's bringing a it's bringing a mythological element into what is very much a grounded in science fiction science setting that there is an explanation of, of a scientific explanation for how the powers work but then you tie it into a mythology yeah and i think the awesome thing is as a metaphor, it works really well in sci-fi to say, to hearken back to mythology. And Star Trek does this all the time, but sometimes heavy handedly and sometimes in, in subtle ways where it hearkens back to mythology or human cultural elements and says, these stories are important to us, even mm -hmm. when we are technologically more you know, more than we are now, or, you know, psionically more than we are now, 
stories are an essential human element, which is why we play role-playing games. Mm-hmm. And using this metaphor of Prometheus and the idea of reaching for something that is more than what we are necessarily what our heritage is, reaching for the stars, reaching for uh, these opportunities that are just out of reach. I think it's a very good metaphor for what the game allows you to do and what sorts of mm. things you can drive yourself forward with as a, a, an element of storytelling or just a reflection on what are these stories telling me about myself, which I think is a really important element of RPGs is that self-reflection element. Yeah, yeah well said. Yeah. Cool. That's... This has been a great conversation. I appreciate all of your time. If folks wanted to find you on the internet, is there a way for them to do that? I think the best place for them to find me, if uh, indeed they're listening to this, they're interested in the Trinity Continuum, come to the Onyx Path Discord, come to the Onyx Path forums and have a conversation. Ask me anything they want to ask about the system, about the setting. I'm always open to, to just talking through stuff. And, you know, if people want... How do I do that? Conversations will have that. If they just want reinforcement for the ideas they've got, let's let's do that and let's explore those things. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say the Discord's is the best place to find me on there. I'm I'm quite a kinetic on that at that forum. You know, I could throw Twitters and things like that out there, but quite frankly, I don't tend to use them that often. I've moved away from them as the conversation has moved uh, more to the Discord. So so let's say that. Fair enough. And for folks that uh, are not on that Discord, you should be. There are great conversations. Discord is hard for me because it happens so quickly sometimes. But when I get myself in there and get involved in the conversation, there's always good stuff that people provide. And you're not getting hit with ads like you do on other social media sites. So there's advantages there. And don't beat yourself up about the pace of conversations, Josh. As the token Australian in many of these rooms, I usually come in 12 hours later and I'm working my way through and answering things and then discovering that other people have answered them and then I'm having to apologize (laughs) for coming in. So you'll never look as clumsy as me. Fair enough. All right, Leith, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about Prometheus Unbound and a little bit about mission statements. I think we should do this again sometime. Absolutely. Let me know uh, when. Sounds good. Thanks so much. Thank you, Josh. Oh, and how do we end this show? Right. So please keep your arms around the Trinity Continuum.